1: today's sermon is pre-recorded a battle for your soul 1 corinthians the 10th chapter verse 11 these things happened to them that is the children of israel as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come these things that is all that happened to the children of israel these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. O oh Lord, as I come to speak what you have laid on my heart, I ask that you would bring conviction, that you would uncover the lies, that you would bring forth your truth in such a way that each heart could accept your word to them. Lord, accomplish in this place and in this city the work that you have desired to accomplish. Lord, let nothing prevent your hand from accomplishing the salvation of these souls. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen there is a battle for your soul. The outcome has not yet been made certain. I spoke this past week with a dear sister, living in sin, living in rebellion against God, but somewhere in the past, she was told by a lying pastor that she was saved. And so now when I begin to speak to her about The convicting work of the spirit that is necessary to accomplish the work of grace in her heart. She has been so vaccinated against the concept that she might not be saved. That she's unwilling to hear the word. And casually walks on about her life and her lust. Believing that she's on her way to heaven. What a shock. When she drops over the edge into hell, there is a battle for your soul. And the outcome has not yet been decided. It was decided at Calvary's tree that the door was open for your salvation. It was likewise decided when you accepted Jesus Christ that you were given a first deposit of grace. Now, what will you do with that grace? Have you squandered that grace so that in the end you will be judged before God and sent to hell? Many will go to hell who say they are Christians. Many likewise follow Jesus, eating the bread, eating the fish. Many follow Jesus and listened to his sermons. Many followed after Jesus who had been healed. But we find no record of them being in the upper room. We find no record of them walking faithfully before Jesus Christ and going to that lion in the amphitheater where the Romans executed God's people. No, many of them turned and walked away and were destroyed in A.D. 70 when the Roman armies came crashing in on Jerusalem. All they had was a memory of Jesus. They had squandered the grace that had been given them And the battle for their soul was lost. So I ask you today, how's the battle for your soul progressing? Now I want to lay out for you today what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to my heart. We have been walking together through the story of the children of Israel, through the great deliverance that God wrought. But as I've been praying about these things and and struggling with them and listening to what the Holy Spirit's whispering into my heart. I see a picture that is so exciting, so liberating, and so terrifying. I want you to walk with me through it, would you? We come over here to this side. We find the children of Israel in captivity to the Egyptian people. They have sinned against God. They have rebelled against God. And the result was they were put into captivity under the Egyptian landlords. They're no longer the honored people they were when they entered Egypt. All has been forgotten about Joseph. They are now cast down. They are now slaves of the worst order. And their incredible lusting after sin... Their sexual immorality, their worshiping of false gods. They have sinned against God. But God, remembering his covenant to them with mighty power, sends Moses. And Moses begins to call them and say, will you come out of Egypt? God is concerned about you and the message of mercy begins to flow into their hearts. And as the message of mercy begins to flow into their hearts, there is a quickening in their spirit. And they say, is it possible for me to be delivered from this lust? Is it possible for me to be delivered from this slavery? Is it possible that we could go to the mountain of God and faith begins to grow in their hearts? But God knew them. And so he sent the first plagues on them as well as the Egyptians. Likewise... When that first work of grace begins to flow into our lives and there begins to be in our heart a spark that says it is possible for me to love God. It's possible for me to get free of this bondage. It's possible for me. I want to follow the way of the. Well, immediately you and I know that person. Is going to have a quick spark that says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then all of the old lusts come back. And we say, well, you know, I'd like to follow Jesus. But God understands. I just love this sin. That's why God then will hear your cry and begin to bring plagues on your life. And God will do whatever he has to do to crash your life. I'm telling you this out of my own experience, both as a father and as a grandfather. I would say to my children, look, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Now, some of you have been like the Egyptians over here serving under the Egyptians. You have been over here caught in the lust of sin, caught in darkness, and God has begun to draw your heart out. And you've said, okay, but I'm going to do it the hard way. I'm going to keep feeding my hunger for this sin. I'm going to keep searching after this darkness. I'm going to keep allowing my heart to stray from God. Because after all, I really do. And so most of the Christian church today in America is still residing over here in Egypt. They've never gotten out into the desert. They're still in the place of slavery, they've seen the signs of God's grace, but they desire to dwell in the civilized place of Egyptian authority, trusting in Egypt for their sustenance while worshiping the God who is in the desert. And so we have this schizophrenic church With no power and no authority. Because it won't leave and go to the desert. And God's only choice will be to bring the fullness of his plagues. On the church who chooses to reside in Egypt. Because he will have his bride. And so I need to just stop for a moment and ask you today. Have you left Egypt yet? Or are you still tied to the economic system of Egypt? Now, I want to be very clear about this. Because you go to a job does not mean you are tied to the economic system of Egypt. If you go to that job as an assignment from Jesus to minister his name in that place... Not to acquire an income. You are not connected to the Egyptian gods. But if you go to that job in order to earn money, you are serving the Egyptian gods. The curse of earning your bread by the sweat of your brow was broken at the cross And you are now called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. And they'll be added unto you as you obey the word that Jesus Christ speaks into your heart. You go where he tells you to go. You do what he tells you to do. You walk the path he tells you to walk. If that is not the way you are functioning, then you are one of those who call yourself a Christian, but you refuse to move out of the digs of Egypt. And you are still working in the the mines and the brick factories of Egypt. If you are going to that job in the name of Jesus Christ, you are not in bondage. You are not in slavery. You are free. And in that case, he can either promote you in that place as he did Joseph, or he can remove you from that job and send you to another. Is that all right with you? So we find the first place of residence for all of mankind is in Egypt. Lusting after the things of darkness, being caught and snared by that which is wicked, And it's in that place that the mercy of God begins to be poured out as he calls after us and he speaks tenderly to us. And he says, come out of Egypt. And he sends someone into your life to begin to speak an honest word, to say, come on out of Egypt, come on out into the desert. And the desert is that symbolic place where the Christian comes where now the things of the world are like the desert. And in that desert place, the Christian begins to feast only on the manna, the supernatural provision of God, and on the water, the springs of living water that flow out of Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. And so now this person is cut off. But now what happened in the story with the children of Israel is that they constantly, in the desert, wanted to go back to Egypt. And so many who are willing to walk out into the desert at the deliverance of God, constantly in their spirit, cry out for the wickedness that entices, for the darkness that tasted so good in Egypt. Now let me have some of that out in the desert. You know, let me have my pride. Let me have my arrogance. Let me have my wants. Let me have the desires of my heart. And as I desire those things out in the desert, it makes God angry. And so God now begins in the desert to pour out judgment. Judgment. Always judgment is given in scripture to turn a person's heart back home. God's judgment never comes out of an angry heart of destruction. It comes as that wooing of the spirit saying, come, come deeper into the desert with me. Don't follow back into the paths of the Egyptians. Come out of that. So, as we come out of that into the desert and we seek after the Lord God of heaven in that desert place, something incredible begins to happen. The fight for your soul is an internal fight, the fight for your soul in the desert is a fight with yourself. While you were in Egypt, it was a fight against Pharaoh. It was a fight against bondages of sin that you could not break. It was a fight against lusts that rose up in your life that you could not break. I spoke with a man this last week who is so attached to pornography. He cannot break the grasp of pornography on his life. And he's an elderly man. All of his life, he has been totally caught in pornography. And he swears he cannot break it, but he won't get rid of it. He's living in Egypt. In Egypt, the battle is always with that sin. It's outside of us. It's what's coming at us. When you leave Egypt... The battle changes. Now the battle is not with what is outside of us. The battle is with what is inside of us. And this is why we so eagerly try to turn back and externalize the battle. The battle is not outside of us. It's inside of us. It's those thoughts that rise up. It's those desires that rise up. It's the It's not even the sin that rises up. It's our heart. It's who we are that rises up. It's the very essence of me that is in opposition to a holy God. And that rises up in my heart. And I have to battle that thing out in the desert by either going back to Egypt and indulging myself once again and strengthening that demon that resides Or I've got to recognize I'm in the desert, and I'm in the desert for God to deal with me. Now, I want you to see, in Egypt, the battle is with what is outside of me. In the desert, the battle is what is inside of me. But in both places, the battle belongs to the Lord. It is not done by might or power. It is done by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not self-help. It's not strategies for success. It's not the 12-step program. It is done as a miraculous gift of grace. It is the mercy of God who sends a deliverer to us. He sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of that Egyptian hellhole. He delivered them into the desert. In the desert... It was no longer Moses who was delivering them. It was the cloud of God's presence. God had his temple built among them and came and resided among them. He lived among them. So now as I struggle with the agony inside of my heart, I've got to recognize that the only way this battle will be won is with the indwelling presence of the Lord God of heaven the Shekinah glory that dwells in me, for I am according to the word, the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so as I walk out here in the desert, you're not going to see much much land conquering going on. You're not going to see much fruit being born in my life. You're not going to see a church growing that's out in the desert. We've spent a lot of time in the desert in this fellowship. Why aren't we growing? Because we're in the desert. As we speak God's word, it pierces to the inside of a man or woman's heart. And some of you today are struggling, thinking, is it possible? Is it possible for me to go ahead and be a Christian? But let this dead cancer in my soul continue to grow. No, it's not. Get rid of the illusion quickly. Either in the desert, you submit to the Shekinah glory, or you die in the desert. Now, what's so graphically illustrated in the scripture is that you can die over here in Egypt under Pharaoh's power. You can likewise die over here in the desert because you refuse to allow the living God of heaven to exercise his authority over your life. So there's a battle for your soul. And in your soul, something rises up and says, but I must have this man. I must have this woman. I must have this job. I must have this car. I must have this house. I must have my own rights. I must have my own prestige. I must have my own way. My rises up and says, I will have it. And that's when the Lord sends the snakes in. And they begin to bite us. And then we have to look to Jesus. I mean, this is the story, isn't it? This is a battle for our soul that's going on. So now out here in this desert, what are you going to do with Jesus? We're in the desert for the purpose of building a tabernacle in our heart. That's why we go to the desert. That the Lord God of heaven could come and reside in our heart. We're not in the desert to become somebody. We're not in the desert to look good. We're not in the desert for any human accomplishments. We're in the desert for the kingdom of God to be internalized and for the Holy Spirit to build the tabernacle of Jesus in my soul so that he resides in me. And some of you are in great rebellion against this in your hearts. For you know the sin that rises up so quickly. And you think that somehow... You can wait on God to deal with that sin while you go ahead and enjoy it. It doesn't work that way. That's life-threatening. The call of the Lord God of heaven is to move as he moves, to flow in the Spirit as he calls us to flow, to let go of the sin as he identifies it, To allow him to take that thing out of our hearts and to remove it. It's the call that came to Moses to come out and to come up. To come out of our old life totally and completely. We came out of Egypt and we said, okay, we'll leave the old life. Now we're in the desert, but we brought the old life with us inside. And so now he says, now will you move out of your inside? And will you come up the mountain? Will you come into my presence? Will you worship me? Will you allow me to have authority over your heart? Many at this stage fail because they say, Look, I have great ideas. I'm a wonderful entrepreneur. I have found a way that I can be a Christian and not surrender and not submit The only deal is I have to make sure it gets done because God's not going to do it. And so now I can go out and build a great church based on marketing design. I can go out and build a great ministry. Raising money. With a wonderful prospectus and a great vision and a little dog and pony show. You can go out and and get the skill set that you need and you can go apply to the jobs and you can climb the corporate ladder. You can become the wonderful entrepreneur and make great money. You can put your life together the way you want to put it and you can have Jesus as the little rabbit foot in your pocket that you rub once in a while for good luck. It's not that kind of Christian faith that we're speaking of today. It's where we come out into the desert and we recognize that we're never going to get out of the desert alive unless we have allowed the Shekinah glory to come and dwell in our hearts. And the battle for our soul has been won. In the New Testament, that's referred to as having been sanctified holy. It's referred to as having been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now that can only happen as the war for the soul is fought honestly by you in submitting to the spirit of the living God. And as you submit to that spirit, he will transform your soul and he will make it into a sharp arrow hidden in his hand. Now, why would he do that? Because of the next stage of the battle. When you cross the Jordan River, the battle of Egypt has been won. The battle of the desert has been won. And when you cross over the Jordan and you come into the promised land. The battle now is no longer an inward battle. The battle now is once more an external battle. This time the battle is to take Cana land. So in Egypt, the battle is against the Pharaoh. In the desert, the battle is against your own soul. And then you cross the Jordan and the battle is for Cana land. It is externalized once again, because you have settled in your heart that you are going to follow Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost is. Every sin has been dealt with. You are walking clean before God. There is no longer the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, or the love of the world. It is gone. It is totally wiped out of your heart by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood brings the victory. Now, how long do you have to stay in the desert before you have that wonderful escape and that wonderful victory? Well, they stayed 40 years and died. But we see in the Apostle Paul, we see in Peter, We see in the disciples of Jesus Christ that when he died on Calvary's tree, that work was done, and that work is quickly accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in that man or that woman, that boy or that girl, who will totally turn over to the Spirit and allow that work to be accomplished. It does not take a lifetime. Now, many of you have been taught that sanctification is the work of a lifetime. You've been taught that you have all of your life to work on yourself. But if you've been taught that, you've been lied to. Because the real work is not on your soul. The real work is for the dying of the world. What would you think of of Pastor James or, or Pastor Peter or Pastor John? What would you think of them if their books were filled with personal struggles, how sin was besetting them and dragging them down and they had no power and they had no victory. I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be scripture. It'd be something else. It'd be one of the Gnostic books. Instead, we find men and women who have come up to victory in Jesus Christ and who's now given over their heart to the power of the Holy Spirit for the work of the kingdom of God. So as you come now into this awesome land of Canaan to begin the work, Joshua, inexperienced, has men come to him with moldy bread, with, with bags of wine that are worn and mended with clothing, old sandals, patched, straps repaired. And they say, we came from a far country to make peace with you. And Joshua does not turn to the Lord and say, Lord, where did these people come from? And what do you want us to do with them? Instead, he uses his cunning and he partakes of their moldy bread. And he says, Uh, Yeah, we ought to make a treaty with them. And so he makes a treaty with them. I want you to see this. In spite of all of his desert time, when he walks out into the battle, he begins by making serious mistakes. But they are not mistakes of pride. They are mistakes of inexperience and immaturity. And so God does not respond to these mistakes with bitter judgment. He responds to these mistakes by taking the mistake and showing them how to translate that into something awesome for his kingdom. You see, God is not blocked by our honest mistakes. We still repent of them. But God will take those mistakes that we have made and he will create out of it something beautiful and will bring victory to his kingdom through them. I show you examples. Look in the book of Joshua. Joshua, the 10th chapter. Now what's happened is the Amorite kings have said the Gibeonites have made a peace treaty with Israel. Let's go up and destroy the Gibeonites. And so runners are quickly sent to Joshua saying, you you made a treaty of peace with us. Come and rescue us. The Amorite kings are coming against us because we've made this treaty with you. So Joshua takes the whole army and they march all night, arriving in the early hours of the morning when the when the army could least expect them and they immediately fall on them, even though they've marched all night. They go right into battle. Talk about strength and being given courage in the Lord. They enter right into the battle, and the battle turns because the Lord has said, I will give them into your hand. They were fleeing from Israel. Look at this, Joshua 10, verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth-Aaron, To Azek, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Now what I want you to see is that when you are totally given into the hand of God, and you make a mistake, and you then follow God, he will direct your path out of that mistake. Some of you have taken jobs you shouldn't have taken. Some of you have gotten in financial deals you shouldn't have gotten into. Some of you have done things that you know were of the flesh. But as you quickly turn back to the Lord and you say, Lord, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? Some of you have made decisions that have brought disrepute upon your name. And you've shamed the name of Jesus. But as you come back to the Lord and you say, how do I deal with this? Now, how do I get out of this? He begins to speak to you and he tells you exactly what to do. And the Lord God of heaven comes now and fights for you. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son Stand still over Gibeah. O moon, over the nation triumphed over. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. You want the Lord to fight for you? The battle is not over here in Egypt. The battle is not out here in the desert the real battle that all of that was getting us ready for is to take the promised land, to cooperate with God for the salvation of your family, to cooperate with God for the salvation of your workmates, to cooperate with God for the salvation of this city. That's the battle. And some of you want to fool around out here in the desert and follow the lust of your heart. And I say to you, come on. Don't play with the little stuff. Come where the big boys are. Come where the real battles are fought. Where everything hangs on what you're going to do in the spirit. If Jesus were to come today and you were to stand up before him, what fruit would you be able to show him? For the years you have lived and consumed on this earth. All some of you could show him is a Western American life of luxury because you don't have any fruit. All you have is your indulgences. Who can you point to? Where's the crowd with you? I'd say you have some warfare to get into. You've got to take your tribe's area in the kingdom of God. See, we're so, we're so self-centered. We want to say this is about me. This is about my salvation. This is about what I want. This is about my comfort. This is about having my way. This is about having what I want with my life. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about His glory. It's about what He wants. And the word is that He's going to put all of His enemies under His feet. I don't want to be one of those enemies. I instead want to be raised up and seated beside Him in the heavenly realms. Would you be seated beside Him today if He came? Or would you be cast down as one of his enemies? Have the lust of your heart caused you to want to go back to Egypt? Or has your heart risen up and said, let's go forward. Let's cross over into the work the Lord God of heaven has for me. And to ask him, oh God, what do I do next? Who do I talk to? Where do I turn these resources? Lord, they're not for me, they're for you. What do you want done with that? How do I reach out at the command of God and accomplish his purpose? I want you to look with me at one more passage of scripture. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In the battle for your soul and in the battle for the souls of men and women, You need to understand exactly the ground upon which you stand. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6. I want you to find this. I want you to read it. I want you to know it in your spirit. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The very ground of our success in the warfare over here for the souls of men, the ground of our success in the desert, and the ground of our success in being delivered from Egypt, all are dependent on an absolute confidence and belief that God exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who earnestly seek his face. Now this requires a walk by faith. Faith, according to the scripture in the first verse of chapter 11, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when I come to you and I speak this word to your heart, I'm absolutely confident that God is accomplishing in your heart the work that he wants to accomplish. I stand by faith on that. I have prayed that God would move in this place. I stand by faith that he will do so because he has told me he will do so. I have prayed through to victory regarding what God is going to do in Washington, D.C. Revival is coming to Washington, D.C. But it is going to come with judgments. It is going to come with plagues. Both in individual lives and corporately. I know that to be true. Because as I have prayed and stood by faith, the Lord God of heaven has spoken. He has affirmed his word, and now I don't walk in question about it. I stand and I go day by day, humbly before him to the radio to speak what he tells me to speak, even though it looks as though in the flesh it's going down a rat hole. It looks like we're pouring good money after bad. It looks like there's just not much response out there. It's been written off and nobody's listening. It doesn't matter to me what it looks like in the flesh. I'm too much of a farmer walking with my daddy down those rows of corn, putting that seed in the soil. Do you think I ever said to my daddy after we finished planting a field, Daddy, will the corn come up? I never said that to my dad. Why? Why? Because I knew the seed. When you plant the word of God. It will bring the desired result. And so I continue to go. I don't know how we're going to pay for this next month's radio. But the spirit of God knows. I don't know how we'll pay for the next month. And in my heart, you know what I want? Lord, what do we do about. Next year. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not interested in talking to me about next year. He's interested in talking to me about tomorrow. What will you go to the radio and speak? Will you speak my word? Will you give it with integrity? Or will you pull the punch? Will you walk by faith? Or do you have to see something? Will you walk in obedience? as I walk this thing out with you, as you walk it out with me, and you sacrificially pour yourself in to the seeding of Washington, D.C., the power of God is poured out in this city. This is how all of the greats of Scripture walked. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promise, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham responded that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So Abraham said, okay, God, you want me to sacrifice my son? You said it was through Isaac that I would receive the promise that was to come of a nation. I don't understand this request, God, but I'll do it. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. He knew where his bones were going to be taken, to Cana land. Look at 24. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Are you willing to leave those sins? Are you willing to move out of that uncleanness? Are you willing to pack up and move on as the Holy Spirit calls you to pack up and move on? Are you willing to confess those things that have given you such difficulty and allow the Lord God of heaven to step into that situation and instruct you and tell you exactly what you're to do? Will you let God fight for you? Will you let God fight for your marriage? Will you allow God to fight for your work? Will you allow God to fight for your health? Are you willing to let God fight for the accomplishment of his kingdom and the building up of the people of God in this city? Or do you want to go back to Egypt? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. do You see, Moses is up there. Abraham. They're watching. You think you're alone. You're not alone. You're just on the stage right now, like they were on the stage. And they chose to go through the victory and build the kingdom of God. What are you choosing? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and it let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sometimes we're on the Olympic racetrack and we're clipping our fingernails. Because we don't realize that the TV cameras are on us. And we don't realize the race is being run. And we're there clipping our fingernails and saying, hey, could I have a cup of coffee, guys? And the people in the stands are going nuts. They're saying, why don't you run the race? You're losing the race. Some of you have just flat out laid down in the middle of the track. And you've said, if I can't have my way. I'll just lay here and be a spectacle. There's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won. There's a city to be won. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure the cross? For the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy was the victory of bringing home to his father, his bride. What is the joy for your heart? To be part of the bride. To be brought into the presence of the father. To that great wedding of the lamb. I want to be there. I want to enter in. But you know what? Everybody loves the victory circle. Most of all, the spectators. You a spectator? Or have you walked in radical obedience this week to the living God of heaven? Giving him your time and your energy, your money? Giving him your heart? Allowing him to rule in your spirit? Or have you cursed the name of God and run after your Wickedness. How do you stand with Jesus today? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons my son do not make light of the lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son endure hardship As discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Will you submit today to the father of your spirit? If you will, there are probably some very concrete and specific steps you need to take to get your life clean before Almighty God. You don't have the rest of your life to get cleaned up. Get it done. Get the work accomplished so you can move on to the work the Lord God of heaven has assigned you in the working for the salvation of the lost and the dying. Earnestly today, look at your life. Does it reflect Jesus Christ? Or does it reflect your own ego?
0: Be seem my friend We must take a place With the brave and true Numbered with the faithful few Doing all that we know to do In the battle for the Lord Gotta keep marching on In Jesus' name Marching on And His love proclaim Marching on the blood-stained banner raised. Gotta keep marching on in victory. Marching on to home see. Till we hear the mighty trumpet sounding, we gotta keep marching on. By the devil's wines Still the church marches on We have been redeemed from Adam's race Sealed and purchased by his grace Heading to a better place Surrounded by an angel band We gotta keep marching on on. in Jesus' name Marching Marching on on and his love proclaims Marching on till the battle is over With the bloodstained banner raised Gotta keep marching on to victory Marching on till the home we see Till we hear the mighty trumpet sounding We gotta keep marching on Marching on in Jesus' name Marching on, marching it is no proglaim. Marching on marching till the battle on. is over with the bloodstained banner reigns. Gonna keep marching, marching on. on in victory. Oh, oh, oh. Marching, marching on, on till one see.
1: You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.
0: With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. So...